that? Is that? Could that be? Could that be my long lost podcast co-host? Is that really you, Katie? If you thought you got rid of me, you were wrong. Oh man, I was this close. <laughs> I'm so happy to see you. Me too. Me too. How was your vacation? It was fantastic. The highlight of my trip was that I got to visit the East Jersey old timey village. (gasps) And I have pictures. I wasn't supposed to take them, but I took them anyway, just for Cindy and also you guys. So, so it's a real place. It's a real place. Yes. With, with real, uh, either reproductions or actual, you know, 18th century, 17th century, excuse me with real 18th and 19th century houses and interpreters there to answer your questions. And also um, college students who were less than enthused when I told them about our podcasts and our episode. And you could tell that this poor girl was not being paid enough to listen to me rant and rave. So, Lady, I am just here to get my degree in English. Exactly. Take your history podcast questions and go ask another interpreter. Exactly. So I apologize to whoever that was. I'm sorry. I was just very excited. She probably sees loads of people just like you every single day. Ma'am, you're like the you're like the twelfth podcaster to come through this week. Move it along. Well, I for one am thrilled to have you back, Katie. You know who did not get a vacation? Who? You know who worked his butt off, Katie, for 67 years and had nothing but an empire two and a half times the size of the Roman Empire to show for it? Who? I actually almost said he slaved away, but actually he banned slavery. (laughs) It's Chengis Khan, Katie. (gasps) My favorite of the cons. And did you know Chinggis Khan died this week, 794 years ago, on August 18th, 1227? I did not know. Yes. And so it seems kind of crazy to just focus on his death. So I'll give you kind of a rundown of some of uh, his highlights, his greatest hits, if you will. The, The highlight reel, yeah. Because love him or hate him, and people love him, even though he actually was responsible for like somewhere around 40 million deaths. Did you know, fun fact actually, the Mongol attacks may have reduced the entire world population by as much as 11%. He was ahead of his time. So love him or hate him, he was a super influential leader, not just during his time uh, alive, but also after his death. So Also, for the record, I want to mention that the name Genghis Khan is Western, Mm -hmm. but uh, the name Chinggis is actually closer to the Mongolian pronunciation. Um, So I'm going to go with Chinggis. Just like if you called me Kindy, I'd be like, that is not my name. (laughs) It's a soft, soft C. Also, Khan is a traditional title meaning leader or ruler. Mm. Historians are still unsure of the origins of the name Chinggis 
Um, it may have meant ocean or just, but in context, it is usually translated as supreme ruler or universal ruler. Ah, so he's like super king king. He's like super awesome king of all time. Yes. Okay. So Chinggis Khan was born around 1162 near the border between modern Mongolia and Siberia. But when he was born, Katie, mm-hmm. he wasn't Chinggis Khan yet. He was actually born Temujin, which means of iron or blacksmith. Mm. According to legend, he was born into the world clutching a blood clot in his right hand. At the time he was born, there were dozens of nomadic tribes on the Central Asian steppe, and they were always fighting and stealing from each other. In fact, Temujin's mom had been kidnapped and forced into marriage with his father. And life for Temujin was equally as violent and unpredictable. Before he was 10 years old, his father was poisoned to death by a rival clan. Oh, no. Temujin's own clan then deserted him, his mother, and his six siblings to avoid having to feed them. (gasps) What happened to them? Well... Uh, eventually, Temujin killed his older half-brother and took over as head of the family. Oh, my gosh. Did he ever get retribution from his old clan? Well, it depends on how you define retribution. If you consider becoming Genghis Khan. <laughs> I'll show you. That might be the world's greatest leader. He actually was captured and enslaved at one point that the, mm. by the clan that had abandoned him but he was eventually able to escape. In 1178, he married Borte, and together they had four sons and an unknown number of daughters because... Ah. Yeah. Throw them on the pile, the rest of the daughters. At one point, Borte was kidnapped, and mm-hmm. Temujin launched a daring rescue of her, and that's when he really started to begin making alliances, gaining followers, and not the tweeting kind of followers. <laughs> And he really started to build this reputation as a warrior. Mm. At one point, he called a meeting of representatives from every part of the territory and established a nation similar in size to modern Mongolia. By 1205, he had vanquished all of his rivals. And by 1206, he had successfully consolidated the steppe confederations under his banner and began to turn his attention to outside conquest. So yeah, I'd say that he definitely showed his old clan who was who was the man. Yeah, on now that's a pretty quick turnaround. Unite and, and face off against all your external enemies, kind of like in what just a couple years. Dang. Yep. Good for him. So here are some other amazing things that Chengiz is known for. So he had a really great eye for recognizing talent, and he usually gave promotions to his officers by or based on get this. Skill and experience ah. rather than class, ancestry, or past allegiances. Oh, good for him. Right? And there's actually this really interesting story. Um, during a battle in 1201 against the rival Tejut tribe, Chengis was nearly killed when his horse was shot out from under him by an arrow. After the battle, and of course he had conquered the the uh enemy right Mm -hmm. so after the battle he addresses the prisoners and he demands to know who was responsible for shooting his horse out from under him one soldier stood up and admitted to being the shooter 
Chengis was so moved by the archer's bravery and boldness that he made him an officer and later nicknamed him Jebe, which means arrow, in honor of their first meeting on the battlefield. Jebe would go on to become one of the Mongols' greatest field commanders during their conquests in Asia and Europe. That's pretty darn impressive. He didn't just execute him because he killed his horse. Like, right? He's like, oh, I see talent in you. Like, I'm, not, I'm not even angry. I'm just impressed you were able to do that. That's quite... That's <laughs> Meanwhile, the horse is like, yeah. <laughs> no. Like, wow. nope. I'm headed to the glue factory. <laughs> so something else that he did was he would give other kingdoms a chance to peacefully submit to Mongol rule. But he also did not hesitate to destroy any society that resisted. So, for example, in 1219, the Shah of the Khwarezmid Empire. Did you ever hear of it? No. No? Here's why. Because the Shah broke a treaty with the Mongols. Chengiz had offered the Shah a trade agreement to exchange goods along the Silk Road, but when his emissaries were murdered... Chengiz responded by unleashing the full force of his Mongol armies on the Khwarezmid territories in Persia. The war left millions dead and the Shah's empire in utter ruin. <laughs> but Chengiz did not stop there, Katie. Oh, no. He followed up on his victory by returning east and waging war on the Tanguts of Shisha, a group of Mongol subjects who had refused his order to provide troops for his invasion of Khorezm. After destroying their army and their capital, the great Khan ordered the execution of the entire royal family as punishment for their defiance. That's nuts. That's nuts. That's what we call the great Khan slap on the wrist. <laughs> I would hate to see what, uh, what would happen if you really got him mad. So here's something else interesting about him. Unlike many other leaders of empires, Chengiz Khan embraced the diversity of his newly conquered territories. He passed laws declaring religious freedom for all and even granted tax exemptions to places of worship. Of course, this religious tolerance was politically motivated, right? Mm -hmm. He was a really smart guy and he knew that happy subjects were less likely to rebel. But overall, the Mongols also had this pretty liberal attitude towards religion. Even though Genghis Khan himself was an animist, which is the belief that objects, places, and creatures all possess a spiritual essence. Thank you, Google. His followers included Christians, Muslims, and Buddhists. Hmm. Perhaps one of the Mongols' most powerful weapons may have been their vast communication network, which was designed by Genghis Khan. Called the Yam, the system consisted of a well-organized series of post houses and way stations laid out across the whole of the empire. Official riders could stop and rest and get fresh horses every few miles, and therefore they could travel as far as 200 miles a day. This system allowed goods and information to travel with incredible speed and... Also, this system acted as Chengis's eyes and ears. Mm. Yam allowed him to maintain contact with his network of spies and scouts, as well as keep abreast of military and political developments. He was just like a renaissance man. Like, I can conquer worlds. I can also develop this very sophisticated communication system across my vast empire. Like, what couldn't he do? 
well, invent an alphabet <laughs> was something that he could not not do, Katie. <laughs> Wait, what do you mean he invented an alphabet? Well, so here's the thing. So Genghis Khan was actually anti-slavery. He had been a slave at one point, right? Yeah. And um, he had members of his family who who had been slaves. And so he really, he he knew that that slavery not only caused bitterness, but also it caused an economic strain. And so he outlawed slavery. Mm-hmm. Instead, he created his own system of law known as the Yasa, which prohibited theft, adultery, blood feud, and bearing false witness. It also, Katie, incorporated the Mongols' respect for the environment by outlawing bathing in rivers and making sure that soldiers picked up after themselves. Really? Um, No littering laws in ancient Mongolia? Like a gum wrapper. Under the Yasa law, they had to pick it up. So, But of course, in order to enforce his law, right, Mm -hmm. he had to write it down. So he created a system of writing. Um, it was based on the Uyghur alphabet, mm-hmm. if I'm pronouncing that correctly. So while it wasn't the first writing system in Asia, it was the first one to be widely adopted and taught to people. So for such an influential figure, there's actually very little known about his personal life or even what he looked like. I've read that um, he did not allow anybody to like paint him, mm-hmm. sculpt him, create any sort of likeness of him. I don't even want an interpretive dance about my life. Nothing. Not, not Shadow not. puppets? No. Selfies? Absolutely <laughs> who are you, not. Who are you kidding? No, absolutely not. But I've also read that after his death, any sort of images of him were um, either destroyed mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. they just didn't survive. So I'm not quite sure what the, what the truth is. But most accounts do describe him as being tall. Mm-hmm and strong with a flowing mane of hair and a long bushy beard. And all I can picture is Cal Drogo from Game of Thrones. That's like literally <laughs> what I'm left with. I was, I was thinking more like Santa. <laughs> Although Santa I doesn't don't, have long hair. I don't know if we call like Santa, I don't know if we refer to him as having a flowing well, mane. Well, I think like big beard. I immediately go... Santa, or you so, know what? That any one of the dwarves from Lord of the Rings, although they're not tall, so. Uh, so we have either Cal Drogo, <laughs> Santa, dwarves. Lord of the Rings dwarves. I've also read that he might have been a redhead. Oh, so interesting. But perhaps, Katie, the most famous enigma surrounding Chinggis Khan's life is how he died. A lot of people believe that he died in 1227 from injuries sustained from a fall off a horse. Mm-hmm. But other sources list everything from malaria to an arrow wound in the knee. One of the more questionable accounts claims he succumbed to blood loss after getting castrated by a princess of the Tangut people. But this was a legend probably told by his enemies after his death to sully his memory. Ah, uh, what a way to go. Right? <laughs> And interestingly, there's also scientific evidence that suggests he died of the bubonic plague, which, if you remember from our episode <laughs> on Masada and Kaffa, yep. Khan Yanni Beg later harnessed the bubonic plague to attack Kaffa in the 14th century. 
It's like rain <laughs> on your day. Anyway, it's ironic, right? It's very ironic. <laughs> because Chengis's death occurred during a vital stage of war against the Western Xi Empire, his family and followers were instructed to keep his death, as well as his final resting place, a total secret. According to legend, soldiers accompanying his funeral procession killed everyone they came across, as well as the 2,000 servants they brought along, 40 horses, and 40, quote, moonlight virgins, who were allegedly buried with the Khan to keep him company in the next world. Oh, my gosh. To discourage grave robbers, the site was reportedly trampled by 1,000 horsemen. Might be a little bit of an exaggeration. (laughs) Uh, who, along with the soldiers who accompanied the procession, were all executed then to keep the location of his tomb secret. But then who executed their executioners? I feel like this is just like a vicious cycle of executions. (gasps) Thou asked too many questions. (laughs) Genghis Khan's tomb is said to be on a mountain named Burkhanakulden, but no one has any idea where a mountain by that name is. Mm. Although it is thought to be near the river Anon, which is not far from where he was born. The tomb is said to possibly contain millions, if not billions, in buried treasure, and thus it's sought after not only by historians and archaeologists, but also by treasure hunters. There is, of course, though, another possibility for where he was laid to rest, and that is that Chengis's body might have been simply allowed to lie where it fell. Mm. Historians nowadays say that at the time of his death, the Mongols had not yet developed a tomb culture. Therefore, Chengis's body may have just been left out to be consumed by the animals. You know what? That actually kind of fits with, it's in line with his, you know, religious beliefs that if, you know, everything has a soul and, and whatnot, wouldn't you want that to return back to the earth from which it came? So, but You sound like a historian. <laughs> But I do find it very interesting that like his death predates any kind of tomb culture that they had. That is yeah. Very interesting. Yeah. yeah. To this day, every year, thousands of Mongols visit the Chengis Khan's mausoleum in the Ordos region, where Chengis is said to have dropped his horsewhip during his final campaign, marking the spot where he wanted to be buried. Talk about a mic drop, yeah. right? <laughs> Put me there. Hmm. Of course, Chengis Khan's body is not really in this mausoleum, but every year there are four large ceremonies and people come from all over uh, Mongolia to express their honor and respect. I should also mention that the search for Chengis Khan's tomb is also complicated by the fact that the Mongols absolutely hate archaeologists coming over and messing with their nation's most holy sites. Mm, Maybe it's because a lot of it's now in the British Museum. Could that be a reason? (laughs) So regardless of how he died or where he is buried, Genghis Khan is viewed as a national hero and founding father of Mongolia. During the Soviet rule in the 20th century, the mere mention of the name Genghis Khan was banned. The Soviets attempted to stamp out all traces of Mongolian nationalism by removing the story of Genghis Khan from school textbooks and forbidding people from making pilgrimages to his birthplace. Chengiz Khan was eventually restored to Mongolian history after the country won its independence in the early 1990s. But, Katie, of course, no attempt to completely eradicate Chengiz Khan from history would ever be successful because, did you know, 
a study published in 2003 in the American Journal of Human Genetics suggests that about one in 200 men worldwide may be Chinggis Khan's direct descendants. I heard about that. I was going to point that out. I was going to say, isn't it something like some huge number of men are probably directly <laughs> related to him? One in 200, possibly. That his, his legacy continues. One of us could be married to a Chinggis Khan descendant. Cool. If that doesn't change how we... <laughs> <laughs> Look at our husbands tonight. Wait a second. Hold on. Go back. Because didn't he have, he make laws outlawing adultery? Or did he just have a whole lot of wives? Wink, wink, wink. And that's he how he got had, He had a whole lot of wives. But this is a fun fact. Wives. So his first wife is Borte. Yes. And that is his number one wife. Mm-hmm. And men always listened and respected their number one wives. So, yes, he had a bunch of wives, but he was very faithful to his number one. <laughs> as faithful as you can be when you've got a whole mess of other wives. And that is the story of the life and death of Chinggis Khan, who died this week on August 18, 1227. Pretty cool. Thanks so much for listening. Don't forget, if you have a favorite story in history you want to share with us, or if we made some horrible mistake in our retelling of history, be sure to slide into our DMs at at another history podcast, or send us an email at notanotherhistory at gmail.com. Can't wait to hear from you.